You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network. Welcome to Tech Tables. Today we have Rob Lloyd, Deputy City Manager and Khaled Tokvik, CIO at the City of San Jose. Khaled and Rob, welcome back to Tech Tables. Thank you, thank you. Make Kella uh, do all the talking. <laughs> yeah, well. I want talking. Yeah, I want talking from both. I'm actually very excited. I think at some point in here, I was I might jump around a little bit, but I'm, since we're here, I'm going to jump around. I've been so excited to do this podcast probably since the Wall Street Journal article came out and I spit the coffee or almost spit coffee on my iPad. When I saw that you were moving from Irvine to San Jose... And then I think just a couple of months before that, Rob was getting promoted. Actually, you know what? This is a great time. Khaled, how's the move? How's the transition? Last time I saw you, I was at a Dodger game with you and my daughter and Ted Ross and his daughter and a basketball kid with us. And you were giving me Gartner advice to post up like in a van or a hotel. It was pretty classic. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what's the what's the non Wall Street Journal story? Like what's the real story? You made the move. Rob's a phenomenal guy. This is why I was spitting coffee up almost on my iPad. I didn't yeah, know Khaled. you two knew each other. So I want to hear this. Hey, Khaled, how is this going? I want to hear it too. Actually, if you can mute Rob for a minute, I can give you the scoop. But... <laughs> No, it's been really great. It's been tough. I, any transition is challenging for sure. But it's, see, I like what the city is doing. I love what Rob has done so far, the program that he has started. And that's just really what attracted me. I talked to Rob a couple of times, even before the whole thing. And I was really intrigued by all the great stuff that San Jose is doing. And so when this happened, it was just like a surprise, a shock, and I just couldn't say no. But yeah, but the transition, like every new job, the change is always uh, challenging and you find opportunities to improve and to develop new skills and new friends and new processes. So far, I cannot complain. I'm enjoying every minute and there are a lot of minutes that I'm spending at work. (laughs) Yeah, no, okay. I really like that. Now, I listened back to our first podcast that we had. I know everyone thinks, Joe, how do you have everything so fresh on the top of your brain? (laughs) I don't. I do. I go back and listen to my own episodes. And you had this great quote. You said, nothing great can happen from being risk averse. The more we calculate the risk and the more we try something new, the higher potential or opportunity for us to make something great and get great results from that. I really like that quote. You, I think what I pieced together from online of what other folks had written, you you made the move, 
You're in the Silicon Valley hub. It doesn't get much better than this right now. Maybe talk about that transition. Are you seeing things are faster than Irvine, different? Give us maybe a little bit more meat around the changes that you see in San Jose right now. And this is not a, this is not a review for Rob. I know Rob's sitting here right now, but it's definitely faster than Irvine. It's a different community. It's a larger community, more diverse and more under the underserved communities that we see in San Jose that we're not, we don't have the same ratio in Irvine. So the focus, I love the focus on the residents and everybody in the city is focusing on and how can we do better? How can we reach out to them? How can we change how we do business to appeal to them and to make sure everybody has the opportunity and the access to our services. Definitely, it's a bigger city. It's more complicated. And, and it is somewhere between the city of Irvine and the county of Los Angeles. This is where San Jose is more probably closer to county, every county than, than the city of Irvine. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a very dynamic every day. There isn't a dull moment in the last five minutes, the last five years, five months that I've been here. It feels like five years for sure. You don't even know how many but months you've yeah, been here. When you spend that many hours at work and, uh, and I'm not alone, everybody's really dedicated and we have long hours. We're short staffed and everybody's stepping up and, and we're trying to recruit the best talents that we can find. And at the same time, they, we have to do what we need to do to, to serve the community. Yeah. Most people don't realize, but Khaled's only 33 years old. 31. <laughs> Wait, I'm 33 years old. <laughs> San Jose is aging you real fast right now. I don't know. I'm going to have to talk to Rob about the number of hours you're putting in. Okay, before before we jump, what's some of your favorite spots to go? I think when I found, and this is a great reminder for me, we moved from one side of Santa Barbara to the other and to the lower side of Milpas. And I find, and I've just been traveling so much, I sold my car. And so when I'm in town, I love to walk, but I found that's actually some of the best times and places is when you walk you get to really see other people's where they're at and in the community and so that's one of my new things i love to go do is go walk around because you go see a lot different parts of the city so what are some of your favorite parts in san jose what are some restaurants i'm not going to tell you what mine are my favorite ones are yet i want to hear from you but yeah have you had a chance to go out and walk around and see the city and and just see hey with now that you've got the lens of cio and then you can go out there and check out all the services and stuff. So Rob is the king of Boba. He's the, he's the mayor of Boba in, in the city. He knows every place that serves Boba and what, how they do it. And uh, every week drags me with him to go and get more calories and more <laughs> and stuff. So definitely I have consumed more I should, than I can assure that. But it's really what I, one of the things that I like about downtown, we have a huge Vietnamese community in downtown and we have probably one of the best restaurants in, in, in the neighborhood. So we've been eating a lot of Vietnamese food. We have a market street that is really close to City Hall. So that's also a nice place for us to walk and get different food and drinks and stuff like that. Now, I don't want to dive too far off the deep end, but do either of you drink coffee? I can't remember. I do. I'm a big, I love coffee. Big oh. season coffee. That's, you know, I can skip lunch and dinner and just live on pastries and coffee. Sadly, but I'm with you on the coffee. That's one of my favorite things. Those pastries might be aging. Those pastries might be aging <laughs> you. We got to get you on some steel cut oatmeal. But yeah, the I love coffee, so we'll definitely be we'll definitely go to coffee. When I went out, when I came to San Jose, Rob took me out. And uh, Rob, where did we go? By the way, Phil, Phil's coffee. Yeah. But we went to lunch too. We did. Yes. Was uh, did I take you to the uh, place? Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was really great. It was fantastic. Joe and, was sweating a little bit. Put a little hot sauce yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Rob, yeah, yeah, I, I was, so anytime he, I, he I loves spicy food. yeah, yeah, my wife is, she loves the spicy food. And so I think 
my wife would, I'm sure, get along with Rob and would probably go out to eat with Rob's family more than me because I'm like, Chipotle? She's, no, we're not doing that for dinner. Yeah. Okay, so Rob, I do want to jump. I do want to jump to you only because I think this is fascinating and maybe it's just I'm not aware of it. You you came on the podcast way back, so episode 67. It's fantastic. So we talked about the GovTech, CivTech strategy, creative partnerships that you're doing throughout the city of San Jose, which I really loved. Obviously there's this connection between technology and your heart for the community. That's really great. And then I imagine, I don't know, you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine it was a little bit of a tough transition to go hire your replacement for everything that you're doing. Maybe you're like, Hey, I was out. This is great. I heard that two great hiring kind of principles are like begin with the end in mind, be ruthlessly selective. First, do you agree? Do you not agree? And maybe what principles do you have in your tool belt that you were looking at before college was the selection that you made? Yeah. And I think at the executive level, it's a little bit different too, Joe is we actually recruited. So we used a executive search firm, but I assembled the list that we really pursued and we had 54 qualified people, 13 of them highly qualified. Of those 13, 12 are ones that were on my list. And so we're a pretty tight community. Cal and I knew, as he said, knew each other prior. And then I had my top four. So long list, short list, really high targets. And Khaled was on that because we had exchanged calls, information on 311, had a couple conversations. And San Jose is basically, if you want government as a startup, we're at that size. And because we're so lean, we innovate out of necessity. We can't throw money or people at a problem. And my list was pretty short on who is capable of that challenge, because lots of people can take more and do more. But to actually reinvent government, to change services, to take a novel approach, I would count 10% of my peers as really capable and good at that. Uh, I'm not sure if Khaled would have a different ratio, but I can count on one hand uh, the number of people I, I consider exceptional CIOs, and then a larger group that I consider really good ones, but we go from there. And then to answer your question, you are ruthlessly selective because you've built something and you want to hand that, that beautiful thing that you love to someone else to take it to the next level. And I don't know, it's kind of like having a kid, right? You spend 20 years loving something, dedicating to it to one day see it move that that person move away and dedicate to other people. And it's kind of like you dedicate to a relationship just to have them break up with you. And in case of I care deeply for all the people, we, we went through a lot. We rebuilt the organization, increased the staffing by 50% over those years, increased the budget by over 50%. And that was the credibility we built together. And I really did want to hand it off to someone who would do a great job with it and who would be as much about trust and relationship as the technology and doing things that the community needed. And that process really worked quickly um, because we were able to say who the top ones were. And then our process focused on working executive and what your values are and that alignment. And Khaled shown very quickly. And so he was in my top four and with the city manager and the process quickly rose to number one. And then we were able to come to good terms. And he moved out. And then the last thing I'll say is also the ability to make space for other people to be successful. That's very much something we do in San Jose. We share a lot of space, but we also try to make space for our peers to shine. And so it wasn't that hard to help Khaled shine. He's, he's an incredibly intelligent, incredibly hardworking, has a higher ratio of emotional intelligence, I think, than I do. He cares. He's a nicer person. So I, I say he's the upgrade at CIO. And then we did a kind of three stage where we were shadowing with each other 
for a couple months. And then I backed away for the next two months and then was just there in a support role for him. And now I'm here if he needs anything. So we did a two month, two month, and then release. And hopefully that was okay for Caleb, but he can let me know if I'm, I'm being too nosy. And, and when he says release, that's releasing me to the wild. That's, uh, <laughs> that's how it felt like. <laughs> but we that's haven't like- eaten a lot and it, we've been here pretty late. So I, I do admire his work ethic and his intelligence. Yeah, no, that's really great. That is a fantastic compliment. I was, what I was curious about was always, I think, trying to hire someone who's potentially better than you. And I think you just answered my question was the missing piece was the EQ piece that you mentioned. And I just, I think that's absolutely fantastic. I want to just, you mentioned this very top 10%. And we're going to, we're going to jump back. We're going to jump back to college, but the very top 10%, Rob, what, Maybe what recommendations or lessons or insight, if you're in the top 25 or top 50%, how do you become that top 10%? What do you, what are you looking for? And I have the lens of a high school basketball coach because I get this question all the time of coach, I want to start. And I'm like, well, you're not starting right now because you got seven turnovers in the game. So what makes that, what makes a CIO in your book, that top 10%? Yeah, and maybe to tie it to an analogy or at least an aphorism is you have to have a a couple strengths that actually CIOs for a long time were able to get away without showing. So you could just be a technical manager, keep the lights blinking, then say things like, if you want more, you have to pay more and keep it very transactional. Uh, The first litmus is someone who develops and invests in transformational relationships, right? If you want to make it through the hard times, you're not going to do that if you're just passing work back and forth to each other. And talking about whose lane is what. It's the people who really are close with each other and they're focused not on each other, but the problems that we share. Because, and Khaled's heard me say this many a time, is every problem set we see in front of us is not one department. It's not even one city. So your key to success has to be that you can partner and solve with others. That starts with empathy. That starts with shared space and then a shared solution. And it inverts what we've done in IT for a long time where someone would come to us we would churn a solution. But instead, now we really have to define the problem with those partners. And we have to spend a lot of time understanding, creating a space for us both to create that common work and that concerted work. And then you can solve things like vehicle blight, hopefully, or homeless encampments, or coordination on COVID response with the county and the state and those types of things. But so number one is the ability to actually perform at a partner level where you're, you're making each other stronger and more insightful, rather than just saying, I only do, or if you want, you have to give me something. And then when we do that, we can actually argue for resources together. We can own successes together. You can tell the story about your peers, about how successful they are. And then you can build that community of success that really separates you and makes you able to do things that your average CIO cannot, or even your average finance director, any true leader. I think this is the age where we augment each other and multiply each other rather than just our stars in our own. And as a coach, like you and I've talked about Michael Jordan in today's world, Michael Jordan was a singular presence and power, but would you want him on your team? Not sure. Knowing how vicious he could be with his peers. And just there, ask Steve is, Kerr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he played with a guy. I'm not sure if Steve Kerr would choose Michael Jordan. I don't know. Maybe he would, but the more powerful thing, like a great team is 2000 X. A superstar led team is maybe 2200 X. Uh, of what the capabilities of the individuals are. So I will always bet on someone who can make a powerful team. And that's where I count those few people. So relationships, they can manage the resources, 
they can lead project execution, they can plan for the long term, and they can really, they show the ability to think outside the normal constraints and create solutions that no one else saw. Yeah, that was absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm just at a loss for words. That was so good. What I'm thinking about right now is I'm actually giving a presentation in Texas at, to the Texas military department, CIOs and technology leaders on August 4th called the dark side of ego. And I'm covering, yeah, I'm covering the theme is secure, innovate partner. And I'm covering the partner piece and everything that, that you just shared right there at the end, I was highlighting the problems that we share. We solve this together. We have the successes together, the empathy, the shared solution. This is exactly what I'm seeing is that's the differentiator in the CIOs that, that I love. And call it, I want to jump to you. You're jumping in. You're the new guy in town. There's a lot of problems in San Jose. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of problems everywhere, but in San Jose specifically right now, when you look out there, you've got Rob as a partner. When you're reaching out to other folks in the community in San Jose, are you quickly building those relationships or those relationships when you're addressing homelessness and COVID? And or are you able to just very quickly jump in and be a part of that, like your experience that you're seeing right now? It's key what, what Rob said, that trust is a key component in this equation. And trust takes time for you to develop the relationship. I believe that we started the process. It's a long process. And we're doing it one with our partners and our vendors. That's one. And the bigger one is with our community. We're trying to build that relationship to so when we, as we deploy new technologies and some of them are controversial, we want to make sure that we gain the trust of the public and they understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and things like that. And one of the things we just did in the last couple of months, we started to use cameras to read the license plate and to capture help investigation. And we did so many community outreach and community meetings that we started the process in the beginning where they were asking why you have it and what is this and that. And then after a few town hall meetings, and when they felt that we were giving them the information before we deploy the cameras, the, the conversation changed from why to how can we apply? How can we ask you? How can we identify a location where we want this engagement to be? So that trust is really it played in front of me in the last couple of months and, and last Tuesday. This is what Rob was mentioning before they before we started, that we went to council to update our policy just to demonstrate to the public that we look at opportunities to learn, listen, and adjust. And that was the second round to go back to council to say, we based on what we heard from people, based on our observation and the pilot we did. We wanted to modify the, the policy just to make sure that the privacy of the, the content or the data that we collect is protected and used properly. So that's really, it, it is, there's, there is no success without relationship and there's no relationship without trust. This is how I see it. Joe, if I can kind of lever in on that one, one of the things about the Smart Cities approach and starting with empathy is that you are very clear about that civic benefit and value that you're trying to create. It's not just doing technologies to get the press release. It's not innovation by a press release. It's how we created something to create a result that was beneficial to the community. And we are deep into Agile, objectives by key results. It's how we communicate with our council. It's how we prioritize what's above and below the line. But that civic benefit piece, that's how San Jose technology people talk. Um, and I do think that has to be where our entire field and our peers and colleagues, if there's ever a piece of advice we can give for the coming years is start with that human-centered empathy piece and always think in terms of civic benefit and making sure the organization runs well to serve some kind of outcome that really makes uh, life and, and business um, 
better and uh, to help those thrive. And then when we finish with our tenures, we know the legacy of our work has been very meaningful and impactful. Okay. You're reading some of the stuff off my mind, but we're oh, going to come cool. back to you in a second. But I did love that you mentioned the human-centered benefit because Tech Tables is a human-centric podcast, which I love. That's a big piece. But Colin, I do want to, there's something that, that you had said that I was thinking about was, what's your favorite, I was super curious, what's your favorite problem that you're working on right now? Because you got, I'm sure you have a favorite problem you're trying to tackle. And then obviously you're working on a solution right now for that problem that will actually create real impact in the community. Just love to hear. I know you're like, oh, prioritize. I got a hundred problems. But if you could pick one, <laughs> if you could pick one right now, like what's your absolute favorite that you're trying to solve? Pick one. And I'll put you on the spot. I think I, I would say two. I think broadband and digital empowerment is something that I feel very important to the community because it's really it really enables a lot of people who are struggling to have an equal opportunity to learn and to participate and to be successful. So that's one. Two, I think homeless is one of the biggest challenges that we have in the city. It just it breaks my heart when I see people who have a limited ability to succeed because they don't have homes, they have mental issues, and they're not getting enough support, and they cannot help themselves to cross the bridge to, to be on the other side. So probably these are the two that, that dear to my, regardless of the technology and technology, there are other things that, that I enjoyed. We're doing some fun stuff with equity and technology and data science and stuff like that. But as something that I feel that's going to be, will have the biggest yield to the community and the biggest result, I think these two are probably going to be the, uh, the largest one too. And for broadband and, and, and the digital empowerment, how do you think we, how do you think we come to actually close that gap? I do actually think about this, because I'll talk to uh, executives across the United States and there are these kind of these big themes. But since I actually spent time in a high school <laughs> and I could see kids when they don't have broadband access or they're not doing their homework, I should say. <laughs> and then <laughs> when they're not doing their homework, they're going to places where they shouldn't be going, which usually results me driving to places where I know Santa Barbara is a nice place, but there are some places where you don't want your kids to go in Santa Barbara and I have to go pick them up to drive them to basketball practice. So maybe... What do you think it's going to take to close? I love what we talked about earlier about San Jose. It's got that startup mentality. Is it time? Is it a little bit more resources? Is it just more people on the ground? Love to hear where you're, how you think we actually come to a winning solution on that. I would say it's not a problem that we cannot fix. If you look at the history of this nation, when we decided to make this a united, we built freeways or the federal government built freeways build a mail system that can deliver mail to everywhere, even if it costs us more money to deliver to a ranch that, you know, that receives mail once a month, whatever. It was a commitment from the federal level that to be a united nation, united as a country, we have to connect every piece of the country to one. That's why electricity was a fundamental, the phone, telegraph, road system, all of that's something that we tackled. And it probably was more challenging in the past because we didn't have the technology, we didn't have the knowledge and the ability to communicate and other things. Unfortunately, I'm not seeing the same commitment or the same will from the from the federal level because it, we're talking about trillions of dollars that need to be spent to invest in the infrastructure. Broadband is, in my opinion, is the core of the economy. It's a national security. It is something that has to be done for us to compete as a nation with others. And that's the, the, probably going to be the biggest differentiator between 
development companies and leading companies, countries. And for us to continue to have the lead, this is something that we have to take seriously have to have to invest heavily in. In the lack of the uh, the big umbrella that is going to say everybody's going to have this, we're going to have an enterprise solution to this to this problem. Unfortunately, it's left to the cities and counties and states to, to see what we can do. I know there are grants and the funds and things happening, but millions will not fix it. We're talking about trillions to be able to make a difference in a very fast. And if you compare how we are connected versus other nations in Europe and even the Far East, I think we're lacking big time as far as the speed, the reliability, the cost, and the access. It is something that you cannot today apply for a job unless you have you do it on the internet. Even if you go to McDonald's to apply for a job, the old days where you get a paper form and ask you to complete the form and submit it at the store, they don't do this anymore. They say, here's the link, please apply online. So if this is not something that we will make it accessible to everyone, the basic fundamental ability to apply for a job is not going to be easy anymore, which means going to create it would widen the gap even more for and make it challenging, more challenging for people that need the most help to be able to help themselves and progress. Have you, have you read anything about Estonia? I know it's like a very tiny country. They only got like a million and a half, but I think it's something like 80% of Maybe it's like 70, 70, 80% are hooked up to broadband. They have the fastest, most <laughs> internet. I know I get it. it's really small, but I was just curious because you mentioned Europe. And so I didn't know if there was any European examples where you're like, Hey, I really like that. I wish we could bring that to San Jose or. So let me give you a comparison. I think connecting water to every home is 10 times more challenging than connecting a fiber connection because water leaks. You have to change the, 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 the copper pipes and you have to do sewer treatment. It is way more complicated, yet we have done it because we recognize water as an essential means for living. I think once we make that transition and we say, for you to have a decent standard of living, you have to have water, electricity, gas, and internet. I think once we make that commitment and that recognition, the problem is going to be solved. But we are at the edge of competing and debating, and some states feel that this is equity. Some states feel, no, it's not. this is not equity. And now we just came back from, from a summit with CIOs, and some states doesn't even want to call it broadband equity. They want to call it something else because they, the word equity raises some other meaning and provokes some other things. But in my opinion, it is. It is a life necessity for you to be a resident of this country and to participate as an effective member. You have to have the essential life substance of food, water, electricity, and to function as a resident, you have to have the connection to them. But yeah, there's, it's easier, of course, for a small city or town in the U.S. to do this. You mentioned Estonia, and also I mentioned Dubai. Dubai is a, it's a tiny country, but they managed to do it because they understood for them to compete because they don't have the means and the population for them to compete. They understand that every member of the community has to be as effective, as connected and as educated as possible. This is really what's going to make a difference in the next hundreds of years. It is not, it's no longer about the oil. It's not longer about the, the GDP. It's going to be more about how effective, how efficient each person in the community, as far as the cons consumption of information, participation in the community and being a productive member of the society. Yeah, no, that's really good. I was curious. You just, yeah, you just come back from a conference. You got one to three takeaways from behind the scenes. I don't even know what conference you were at, but if you're meeting with a bunch of other CIOs, you're having conversations. 
is there one to three things that like really stood out to you at that conference that you think are like, hey, these would be really great to share? Or you're just like, no, I'm gonna keep them in my pocket. <laughs> no, we came up with a with a list of things that we felt. There's a lot of common themes between us nationwide. All of us are struggling. We have the same challenge. Broad one, broadband is definitely one of the ones that everybody's seeing as a challenge. And some uh, entities are, are taking the right approach to the problem and working from the perspective of this is something that we have to do. And some of them think that we're just going to throw money at it and hopefully it's going to go away. So broadband is one, of course, the standard cybersecurity and the challenge that we have for that. And then I think the second one I, that's going to be making a difference in government is data analytics and how do we how we can extract meaningful information from data to help us make more reliable and intelligent decisions in the future. Yeah, that's great. On the data side, there's, I interviewed a gal this morning, absolutely fantastic. She's in Sonoma County, Carolyn Stats, super smart. She's doing a lot of really great stuff with IBM and data and, and our friend SimplyGov. And yeah, she's doing a lot of really great stuff there. What's funny about, so I'm in Florida right now, I'm in Orlando, and I was at an education conference, at K through 12 education conference. And so I was hearing from CIOs. And I think a common theme I heard was, and I hear this not just in Florida, but another, it's like, it, it comes down to who's taking ownership of what. And so in this case, let's take broadband. Who's taking ownership? Is it the federal government? Is it the state? <laughs> Are counties taking ownership of it? And so I'm throwing a live podcast event in Tallahassee in a few weeks. And so I'm laughing because the, I forget the school district. It's in Tallahassee, but I'm talking to the CIO for this entire unified school district. He goes, hey, man, you going to interview Jamie Grant? I said, yeah. He said, can I come? Because I got some questions about broadband to ask him. <laughs> yeah, man, come on. Just keep it PG, okay? Just, but, <laughs> but yeah, you can come on. I, some of these folks from this education conference are going to come in the kind of Tallahassee region. And, and I think it's great because I think everyone needs to hear. I think sometimes it's tough. Like California is a huge state, Arizona, Texas, New York. A lot of times, I think Rob, I don't know, I think maybe me and you were talking about or texting about this of, you know, the difference between state and county and everyone's so siloed and we don't have those conversations. It's hard to be aware. And so sometimes people just aren't aware of what's going on and people are busy, right? And it's tough when you've got so many competing priorities, but I think having the conversations is definitely the first start. And then I'm a big fan of actually executing on that. And so that's where the end game happens. And so this is a fantastic talk. Is there anything that I missed? either Rob or Khaled, that you wanted to cover in this session today? Yeah, I think two things. One is this is the generation and era and moment when the technology people, the, the culture, the solutions, the tools, the community of practice that we've been building for the last five, 10 years is with the pandemic at a level of high credibility. And it shows us what the future can look like when we activate and we execute. Um, and we partner well together. And I think that's why you're seeing uh, CIOs become uh, city, uh, assistant deputy city managers, even city manager Luke over in uh, Evansville, Evanston, I forget, and then even county. And so this is a moment where we can have different conversations because they see technology as an essential strategic asset and partner. And what that allows us to do is use a lot of these tools that we've building in, been building in to, to create those solutions and to work differently and with partners in a way that hasn't been as, as common in the past. But I also think that more than ever, we need to be very focused on how we train the managers and next generation leaders, because right now it's still too uncommon to see that style. 
And when people say that's mine or, and I've used to work in a state and we were able to be pretty fast, but there's a lot of states that think they know better and coach, but when's the last time you saw a state really do something exceptional? And I think the power of investing in local government, being part of that mission and having that calling is you can see the street and you can see the people that you're helping. And so this is a great gift we get to, to be able to work in this space and to apply our discipline and our experience and our skill set to these things. And if we can keep that train going and build that partner model and that solutions orientation and that long-term view, you'll be able to see the efficiency and the data approaches and the equity approaches because... What COVID did was it made some things very glaring that community and economic opportunity are not equal. And you can live four blocks away and have a million dollars yet less income in your lifetime and live 20 years less long. And that's not okay. And for us to thrive as communities and to heal some of the gaps that we all, I think, can observe, we have to share some things in common, some common values, some common rituals, and solve each other's problems. And as we do that, then that trust and that care starts to build. And we have not only a well-running city and a well-running county and a well-running region, but we also have the ties that bind us and say, we're in this together. And last thing I'll say is one of the most powerful things about Silicon Valley is the bigs don't eat the littles. We really pitch in and help each other. And that's very much the culture and ethic that we have at the city of San Jose. We collaborate with a lot of people. Khaled was talking about NICS, the Metropolitan Information Exchange. It's the oldest CIO association on the globe. In the 1950s, some data processing directors got together and talked about their mainframes and the problems they were having. And it's the top 65 CIOs of communities, over 100,000 people. And it is close. It is familial. You share you each other's therapy. But it also builds those bridges where we can actually help each other and work and share work and share advice. And then you're operating at a different level because you're the power of many rather than the power of one and you can go further. And so just, uh, Joe, I think that matches your ethic and how you've tried to build tech tables as a platform where we connect and talk about those big challenges and what's working for us and what's not. So credit to you. And then I think Khaled hit a lot of those points dead on target is this is the generation in the moment where we can be the answer when people need it and the help that people are asking for. Mix, that's where you were at. I know, you saw my guy, Lynn Ferlin, yeah. the CIO yeah. from Milwaukee County, yeah. We, We've got pictures. I feel so bad, yeah. That, he's such a good guy. I love that podcast, my podcast with him. He was, he's been begging me to do a podcast event in Milwaukee. And, uh, you should go have it at the Harley Davidson Museum or at the Lakefront Beer Garden or so many other university club. He really loves his community. And I think that's what he is. People who really care and try to create the ties that bind. Love that. Yes. Love that. Oh, I got nothing. Colin, any, any last wrap up comments? Thoughts? Sure. I think we, I see this more and more in, in San Jose that becoming a team, I think gradually. We're transitioning from being a push technology and or a push service provider to more of a pool. We want to bring the community to make sure that everybody is utilizing it. I kind of think of it like the old model of being a radio station where we are broadcasting our signal. And we assume people have radios. We assume people have antennas. We assume people are within the signal zone. But it doesn't. we have no way of knowing that people really listen to the broadcast or not. Are they getting the signal or not? This is really the shift that we're trying to make sure, number one, everybody has a radio. Make sure everybody know what frequency to tune to get the signal, to get the service from government. 
make sure that they are within the signal is reaching them and they are within the zone of that signal. And two, they can hear the signal clearly and they can understand it. So equipment, broadband, connectivity, language, ease of use, engagement, all of that is changing. The more we look at it from the perspective of the public, the more our service will be impacted or will be valuable to them. Because sometimes we, we, you might be sub broadcasting on a frequency that nobody can approach or can receive, or maybe few people can utilize. So this is really the transition. We can no longer say we did our job, we broadcast a signal and our job is done. No, it's our job now is to make sure that this service is being received in, a, in the right way and being accessible and being utilized. And that's really how we can make a difference in the community. The old model of it's available, come and get it. It doesn't carry enough to, to make progress. It's the other way of making sure that they cannot access it. We need to help them. We need to find out why. What can we change from our side to make it easier? What can we do to help them get this information? That's fantastic. Next time in San Jose, I'll definitely be texting you both and we will please be getting some more food. <laughs> Some more food. Actually, I'm gonna get some food right now. It's about dinner time. I'm, I am starving here on the East Coast, and my body doesn't know if it's lunch or dinner right now. That's how confused it is. But thank you both for taking time to come on. Yeah, I just loved hanging out with the time I've had, and can't wait to do it again next time in person. And San Jose, Milwaukee. I don't know. We'll pick a city. We'll make it happen. So, thank you both for coming on Tech Tables. Thanks, Joe. Be well. You're listening to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the higher ed show. And bonus number three, access to the digital show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network.